take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew. We have been doing a series on the Lord's Prayer. We started actually before the Lord's Prayer. I had a message called In Jesus' Name and what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And so that's where we began. And then we started into this study on the Lord's Prayer. We've been doing a phrase at a time. And this is the weirdest part of the Lord's Prayer. You'll say, why is that? Well, it ends in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, some translations stop right there. There's some textual criticism, some things about different translations. And as a church, we recommend the King James and the New King James. We read from a lot of different translations, but those are the only two that we teach or preach from. And they both include this last phrase that we're going to focus on this morning. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I told Kathy earlier this week that I really wanted to sing that. Uh, uh, to, to sing that Lord's Prayer song and get to the, yours is the kingdom. And so she called Ali and said, please come and sing us. If you don't, Terry's going to. So uh, <laughs> all of you can thank Ali later. Uh, but, but I love that. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The kingdom and the power. I do have a one slide slide. I don't know if it's in there or not, but uh, the kingdom and the power and the glory. Did I get it into the... Anyway, never mind. If it shows up, you'll enjoy it. If not, well, I will still enjoy it. Uh, the first thing I want you to think about is that, that God rules and God makes the rules. We have a whole culture around debating about whether God's really in charge and whether God meant what he said. Because God said some things that are pretty clear in Scripture. And yet churches today are, well, that's not really what God meant. How many of you think God's pretty smart? How many think God's pretty articulate? He can say what he means to say. Sometimes we struggle with understanding it. But if we really look at it, really see what it says, there's only one accurate interpretation of Scripture. It's our job to work hard to figure out that one accurate interpretation. God created the universe. He designed the laws of gravity and the laws of physics. So, when you're a little kid and you grab a baseball and you throw it straight up in the air, where's it going to come down? Straight down. Most of the time right on your head. I figured that one out. He set the solar system in motion. He rules the space-time continuum. And he makes sure it only goes in one direction. Science fiction enthusiasts like to believe there are many parallel universes, but the truth is there's one universe designed, created, engineered, and held together and directed by God. God rules and God makes the rules. 
God also is just as powerful today as he was at the beginning when the evening and the morning were the first day. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He's just as powerful today. He spoke and it existed. And it didn't matter whether it was water or dirt, whether it was bugs, whether it was turkeys or tigers. I like tigers, although I've never eaten one. Whether it was dinosaurs or plants or stars or solar systems or galaxies. God said, let there be lights in the firmament. And he created the sun and the moon and the trillions and quadrillions of stars. We have no idea how many stars are out there. We send probes out into space so that it can look beyond what we can see. And those probes find more stars and more stars and more stars. And they also estimate that at the outer reaches of what we can see of the universe... The stars are moving apart from each other at speeds of up to a million miles an hour. This awesome, magnificent universe. How did it happen? The awesome creator God said, let there be stars in the firmament of the heavens. He created people. And the people he created took the creatures he created And invented wonderful things like bacon. (laughs) For generations, scientists have... Sorry. I I had sausage this morning too. I should have said sausage. (laughs) Scientists have been searching for renewable energy for generations. God doesn't need renewable energy. He is the ultimate energy source. God has no limitations. It's His now and forever. It's always been His, always will be His. He has an inexhaustible supply, not only of energy and power, but aren't you glad of grace toward those of us who desperately need it? He is just as powerful today as He was when He said, The evening and the morning were the first day. And God is just as committed to our salvation today as he was on that day when Jesus died on the cross. On that day when Jesus hung in between heaven and earth and he paid the penalty of our sins and he cried out to the Father and ultimately he said, it is finished because As the songwriter said, salvation's wondrous plan was done. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit agreed and decreed before the creation of the world that they would create mankind special. And mankind would have the ability to make decisions. We have free will. It's not unlimited free will. I can't choose to... uh, be not bothered by gravity anymore. In fact, the older you get, the more gravity pulls on you. Your chest starts sliding down here. 
and, and, and the older you get, we, we can't defy the law of gravity just because you don't want it to. You can't decide, I'm going to ignore that wall and plow into it. Well, maybe you can. Bill, would you try that for us? Uh, no. uh, you, you can't do that. It wouldn't work. So you can't defy the laws that God set in place. So we have free will. We have moral agency to choose and make decisions, but within the parameters that God defined. So a person cannot choose to ignore God for their entire life, never believe in Jesus, never trust in Jesus, and then choose to go to heaven. They don't get that opportunity. God said they have to believe and trust in Jesus Christ now so that when the end of their life on earth comes, they can then go to heaven. So they decreed that Jesus would be willing to pay the penalty for our sins that we might be gloriously saved. And he is still committed to our salvation. In fact, the way it's described theologically in the scripture is that we were saved on that day when you asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. For me, that was uh, 41 years ago. For some of you, 41 years ago didn't exist. And and so you haven't been saved that long. Some of you maybe have been saved longer than I've been alive, if you can remember back that far. You were saved on that day when you prayed and trusted Christ. But you also are being saved. He's keeping you saved. See, contrary to what you might think, you're not perfect. You still struggle with sin sometimes. You still fail God sometimes. And you still have to ask His forgiveness. And He's still keeping you saved. So you were saved. You are being saved. Oh, but some glorious day, you will be completely saved. And in that glorious day, you will no longer have a desire to sin. Sin will be eradicated from the human race. We will worship God and we will not have sin in heaven. And you will be completely saved. So now I am fully saved on the day I trusted Christ as my Savior back in 1976. I got saved. Uh, John Mollett and I figured out I got saved about eight months after he was born. For some reason, his sons therefore think I'm old. And and that day, I was just as saved then as I am now, as I will be in heaven a billion years from now. I'm just as saved. But there's this ongoing process of God working in my life. He is just as committed to my salvation now as he was when Jesus died on the cross. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Forever. Jesus, as our Lord, is also committed to our fullness of life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, He came so that His followers might have life and have it more abundantly. (laughs) Now, Pastor Dave and I, by nature of being pastors, have opportunities to be involved in families at the most difficult times of their life when a loved person dies. And we have done funerals, and I honestly have no idea how many funerals I have done. 
uh, I counted for the first hundred, and then I decided I didn't want to get depressed and figure out, you know, I'm on number 772, getting close to 1,000. I have no idea how many I've done, but I've done a lot of them. And Jesus, one day when he was walking, he was walking down the road and a funeral procession came up. Have you? What do our funeral processions look like? There's a hearse and some cars behind the hearse. And that day, yeah, sometimes there's cops with lights on to help help uh, protect people. But th- in that day, they didn't do that. How many of you have ever been in a funeral procession in a third world or tribal area? So, yeah, it, it's a lot different. It's rowdy. There's not joyous laughter, but there's weeping and there's wailing. And in some cultures, they actually have professional wailers. Not guys with harpoons, but but people who can wail and moan and do it with uh, like like you know maybe make it melodic so you wouldn't hire someone like me you'd hire Benjamin uh, something like that but they hire these people and they wail and so in those cultures I've been on one actually in Tucson uh, in the uh, where, where's the San Javier what what tribe is that do you remember? I don't remember, but the tribe around Sanavir. I was down there for a 10K race once, a long time ago, and there was a, a funeral procession, and they had a short wheelbase Chevy um, van with a hearse sticking out of the back end, a casket sticking out of the back end. <laughs> yeah, that hearse stuck out about 30 feet. Oh, so... The casket was sticking out. Thanks for the clarification. And, and, and they're going along, and the casket's sticking out a little. And so there were two guys walking right behind the car, holding on to the back end of the casket, lest the worst that could happen, it would tumble out. And all these people were going down. And we're running a, a race. And these people are hurting. And, and we were just out. We were just having fun. We, we were just, you know, I mean, don't you guys just think it'd be really cool next Saturday to get up and run six miles? That's just what we were doing, just for fun, a 10K. And we came across that, and I was looking at them and thinking about us and thinking how trivial what we were doing seemed. But I also thought about Jesus coming across the funeral procession. You remember that? And Jesus said, stop! And he walked up to this widow who's wailing because her son has died. And he raised him from the dead. Don't you wish you could do that, Dave? Not for everybody necessarily. But for certain ones that you could bring them back. Don't you wish you could for certain ones? That, that would be awesome. And you know, that, that's mind-boggling. Can you imagine that widow? She thought, see, in their culture... Widows had no protection. There was no social security. If you did not have family to take care of you, you were in serious trouble. And Jesus raised her son from the dead. And he's just as powerful today. And he wants us to enjoy our life within the safety parameters that he has set up. He wants us to enjoy our life to the fullest. And Jesus 
is just as glorious today. It's hard to describe what His glory means. What does it mean that God is glorious? Well, it means that there's splendor. There's awesomeness. There's amazingness. And He's just as glorious today as He was on that day when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In Isaiah chapter 6, He's just as glorious today as when Peter, James, and John saw His transfiguration. And, and they saw Him glowing with the glow of heaven in His glory. He's just as glorious today as He was when He rose from the grave. And He walked into His disciples and said, Hey guys. And they were scared to death. He's just as glorious as He was then. He is just as glorious as He was that day when they were gathered around and He told them that they were going to be His witnesses and then He ascended up into heaven just rising up into the clouds. They'd never seen anything like that. He's just as glorious today as He was on that day uh, when John saw Him in His vision on Patmos. And He saw the Lord. Because His kingdom and His power and His glory are Forever. Forever. Take your Bibles, please, and turn over to John chapter 20. The Gospel of John chapter 20. Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John. This is a story of a guy called Thomas, who's called Didymus in the King James, or the twin in the New King James. Thomas, who's the twin... And Thomas, what else is Thomas known for? Why? He's called Doubting Thomas. Why would they call him Doubting Thomas? Well, Thomas was doubt, a doubter. He was a doubter. Uh, in uh, John chapter 20, down in verse 24, But Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the disciples had seen Jesus in His risen glory, but Thomas was not there. The other disciples therefore said to Him, We have seen the Lord! But He said to them, Unless I see His hands, the, in His hands the print of the nails, and He was nailed to the cross, probably right through this part, this was considered that we, what we call the wrist was considered the hand for them. And the bones here would have held him up on the cross. You see some pictures where the nail goes in here? Well, if they're hanging on the cross, that would have ripped right out through the hand. But to do it in this part of the hand, which, by the way, uh, that is the carpal tunnel in there. Ever hear of somebody who had carpal tunnel syndrome? Oh, that, that's where all the nerve endings to the hand go right through here, and that's where they put the nails. And Thomas said, I want to see the scars of the nails. And, uh, here we go, got to find the right verse. 
Uh, And then he said in the middle of verse 25, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails. I remember when I was a kid feeling my grandpa's scar. It seemed really cool. He wanted to feel the print. And then I want to put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side. A spear was thrust into his side on the cross. He said, I want to put my hand in that hole that was left by that spear. And if I don't see that, if I don't experience that, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach forth your finger here. <laughs> Probably hold it. Reach forth your finger here and, and look at my hands. Reach forth your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That kind of applies to us because we have not literally seen the risen Jesus, but we believe on him based on the eyewitness testimony of Scripture. We know that Jesus lives. Thomas was a doubter. He doubted that someone who had died was now alive. I I mentioned I've seen a lot of people after they've died. I've never seen one come back from the dead. But Jesus did. You say, well, that's almost unbelievable. You're right. But let me ask you something. For somebody who can say, let there be light and there was light. Let there be lights in the sky at night and there are quadrillions of stars. How difficult would it be for that person to come back from the dead? Impossible for us but not for him. Thomas was a doubter. I haven't seen it. I'm just not going to believe it. But isn't there a state that calls themselves the show me state? What state is that? Missouri. That's why they're always in misery, right? The state of Missouri, the state of Thomas. Thomas was a doubter. Thomas also was a questioner. Thomas was a questioner. Here were people he had spent time with, walked with, eaten with, fellowshiped with, and they came to him and they said, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And he's like, I don't really think you saw the Lord. He questioned their testimony. He didn't agree with it, didn't follow it. He questioned the testimonies of the other apostles and the disciples, and Thomas demanded proof. So we remember Doubting Thomas. But we sometimes forget that Thomas was a doubter and a questioner and he also was a worshiper. My Lord and my God. He was a worshiper. See, Jesus had been called the Son of God. In Matthew 14, when he walked on water, they called him the Son of God. In Matthew 16 and John 6, Peter called him the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Mark 16 at the crucifixion, uh, a centurion said, Jesus must be the Son of God. He must be a righteous man. In John 10 and 19, the Jews understood that when Jesus, the Son of God, was making, calling himself the Son of God, was making himself equal with God. The Jews understood that. So it's not a huge deal here that Peter or that Thomas calls him God when Peter had called him the Son of God. It's not a big deal, but there is something here that is a big deal. Thomas did not just call Jesus the Son of God. He didn't just call Jesus God in that glorious moment, perhaps all the prophecies that he'd been taught as his childhood and adulthood, all the teachings that he had heard from Jesus finally clicked in his head and he boldly said, my Lord and my God. Not just, I believe you are the Lord and the God, but you're mine. Thomas identified with Jesus. Thomas worshipped Jesus. He worshipped Christ in the fullness of his glory. Someday we're going to be in heaven and we're going to worship Christ and we're all going to sing and it will be glorious because in heaven I think we'll all be able to sing and we'll all sing and worship and praise to the Lamb that was slain. And we will sing glory and honor and power unto the Lamb and we'll surround it. I don't know if you've ever heard a large group of people singing a song together. That's one of the fun things that we do at the fellowship meetings. We get together and we sing. We'll sing and have excellent messages brought. Dr. Tillotson's coming down from Faith Baptist. He's a great speaker. Some of us heard him when he was in Arizona before. Um, and he's a great speaker. And, and But when we sing, there's a fullness of the sound there because we all agree and we all believe and it, and it's joyful. Thomas was totally overwhelmed by Jesus. He walked into that meeting. I'll believe it when I see it. Just call me Missouri Tom. But while he was in that meeting, Jesus showed up. And Jesus looked right at him, eyeball to eyeball with him. And Jesus said, Thomas, touch my hand. Thomas, touch my side. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. See, for on the screen it says, the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. What's missing? What's missing? Amen. What's missing from the beginning? Yeah. For thine is, or for yours is, for his is the glory and the power, the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever. They're his. He still rules. And he is just as powerful today as he was at the beginning when the evening and the morning were the first day. He is still just as committed to our salvation. He is still wants us to have a fullness of life, not just to know Him, but to grow in Him, 
to grow closer to Him and mature in our relationship with Him. He is just as glorious as He was. When any moment of history you can imagine, before history, when it was just our glorious God, and He said, let's create the earth and let's make man in our image, and that glorious God is still just as glorious today. Notice it says, for His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Not for the scientists. Not for the atheists. It's God's kingdom. But notice it also says, for His is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Right now. Have you been reading your newspaper or reading online news clips or watching television news or listening to people talk about the news? There's some messed up things out there, aren't there? And it's not just in America. There's some messed up things in America. But America looks good compared to most of the world. Does it feel like God's in charge? See, one of the amazing things about God is He has established parameters. And we have free will to act within those parameters, but we can't move beyond those parameters. And God said, we have freedom to make certain decisions and, and actions, and sometimes good people suffer because God allowed bad people to have the capacity to make bad decisions that carry over and hurt good people. But God's still in charge. Remember the book of Job? And Job got exasperated. His friends kept blaming him for his sin. You're having this problem in your life because you sinned against God. And Job said, I'm not aware of any sin. I'm walking and felt, no, you must have sinned. I, I'm not, but this is the judgment of God in your life. And Job finally got exasperated and said, I wish God was here so I could defend myself. And I could tell him, God, this is wrong. What are you doing in my life? And so God finally answered Job. And he doesn't answer him with this psychological, therapeutic form of Christianity that's prevalent today. Oh, honey, why do you feel bad? God said to Job, who are you to question me? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Where were you when I told the oceans you could come this far and no further? Where were you when I created behemoth and Leviathan? And Job realized God is not only awesome, but he is awesomely in charge. And God said, everything He allows in your life, He will work together for good. So sometimes when we're fussing about God, about our circumstances, God's saying, hey, just wait. Good day's coming. You're going to see good from this. It's coming. God is in charge. And, and it is His kingdom. It is His power. It is His glory. God is being glorified whether you participate in it or not. God is glorified. We can share in it. We can do things that bring glory to Him. 
We can witness for Christ. We can lead people to Christ. And God is glorified when we do that. We can obey Him. We can worship Him. And God is glorified when we do that. But He is glorified and has the fullness of glory whether we participate or not. He was just as risen from the dead before Thomas believed as after Thomas believed. It exists right now. His kingdom. Today, we're not trying to build His kingdom. We're trying to advance His church. This is the church age, but it's part of His kingdom. His power. His glory. Right here. Right now. We may have to wait until heaven before we can see it. But it's just as real in this exact moment. So when was the last time you were overwhelmed by the awesomeness of God? I like this picture. Guys looking off in the clouds and there's brightness and We can't imagine the awesomeness of God. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he fell down and immediately started confessing the sinfulness of humanity because of the awesomeness of God. When John saw Jesus in his glory on the Isle of Patmos, when he had that revelation that became the book of the revelation, John said, he fell at his feet as a dead man. John, who's called John the Beloved, who could it very well have been Jesus' best friend on earth. When Jesus died on the cross, he told John to take care of his mother. Now, in, in our culture, it's still a big deal when you ask somebody to take care of your mother. But in their culture, it was a huge deal. And so Jesus, leaving his mother in the care of John, meant he had a close, trusting relationship with John. And John saw Jesus, and John didn't say, Hey, Jesus, dude, it's been a while. No. John fell at his feet as a dead man because of the awesomeness of our God. We can't agree with everything anybody writes unless it's in the Bible, right? But C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters, and he imagined a demon talking to another demon about the glory of God. And the, the older demon said to the younger demon, complained about the awful luminescence of God. See, God is so light in him, there's no darkness at all. And, and sometimes when we pray, we act more like God is a genie we're trying to direct to do our will than the awesome God we're trying to submit to. And sometimes when you pray, all the time when you pray, except when you're driving, you, you should close your eyes for a minute and just picture God. God in all of his godness listening to you. 
Isn't that amazing? And so just for a minute, we're going to have a song of invitation, and we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to the message or respond to the leading of the Lord. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, we want this day to be your spiritual birthday for you to trust Christ as your Savior. I was sitting at a camp meeting and I walked down an aisle in a building similar to this and I, my youth pastor led me to the Lord on the front steps very similar to this. Uh, maybe you need to do that. Two weeks from today, we're going to be baptizing again. Maybe some of you need to join those who are going to be baptized. You need to talk with me about that. And we'll get together and we'll go through what it means and why. And maybe you need to do that. But let's for just, just a bit, I want you to quietly, reverently worship God in your heart. Just you and God. And in a moment, we'll have a song. In fact, I don't know who's playing. What you can play while we sing. Just a little music background. We'll, we'll, and then no talking, no conversing. Just you thinking about God and His awesomeness. Who He is, what He does, and what He has planned for those who love Him. I have not seen nor ear heard neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God has for those who love him. You just take a moment to worship this awesome.